How's that? Oh, that's better. That's better. Have to get it right. Put this down here. There we go. Well, now. Um, Christmas essentials. You know, it's, well, absolutely honest, it's sometimes very difficult to think when you're preaching at Christmas or a, a, a special time, what on earth can you say that we haven't heard a million times before? So, I'm not going to say anything new. If there's any new theology, then you better come and pull me out by the scruff of the neck, because there's no new theology. It's all been in here for 2,000 years. Um, but I want us just to ponder what's essential. And there we got somebody who looks as if they're quite busy dang, um, trying to juggle the decorations with the shopping, with putting the kids' socks up, uh, Christmas stocking. And um, they're quietly in the background. There's a couple. Is that a sheep? Yes, a sheep and the ladies holding a baby. Hmm. What are the essentials of, of Christmas? Well, I've lost the gizmo. Here we go. I've forgotten where I have to point it. There we are. Let me ask you a question, first of all. And um, you'll have to indulge me because I'm going to tell you what my favourite memories of Christmas are. Right. And of course, it's all in England, and that's even better. <laughs> so, my memory of Christmas as a kid was that um, in the weeks, there was a day when there was a school holiday or something like that. We called it half-term holiday. And my mum would take me and I think my brother and my sister, though I can't remember too much, um, up to London. We lived in the suburb of London. And she'd take us into central London to a shop called Gamages. Now, you've probably never heard of Gamages. It doesn't exist anymore. It was an, in- what? It was an enormous department store in central London, an area called Hoban, quite near Oxford Street and the West End where a lot of the shopping goes on. And in Gamages, every year, was an enormous model railway. You probably call it a railroad over here. It wasn't just a little sort of table with a square with a couple of trains. It sort of went on, well, you'd be walking right round past it, past it more. Oh, then the lights would go down, it would be night. And the trains would stop and the trains would start and it went on and on and on. It was absolutely fantastic. And that's one of my favourite memories of Christmas because I love this model railroad. And then I, I, when I was at some time, I did build one myself. Not as big as that though. Um, and then after that we go to another toy shop that you might just have heard of called Hamleys. Anybody heard of Hamleys? Oh, one, yes, yes, one or two hands there. That's still there. It's a toy shop in the West End of London. And that was enormous, about seven floors, and you don't want to go in near Christmas, you just can't move for people. Um, and then there's a square in called, called Trafalgar Square in the centre of London, and every year that we'd get a, an enormous Christmas tree higher than the ceiling. I think it was a gift from the people of Norway after the, the Second World War, and the, the tradition stuck. They would present the UK with a Christmas tree, and I think that it still goes on, it's in Trafalgar Square, and it's all lit up, and that was all part of it. That was the essential part of Christmas. Um, and then a couple of roads would be lit up, Oxford Street and Regent Street in London would have Christmas decorations, 
going across the road from one side, the shops on one side, shops on the other. A bit like Times Square, only about much better. Um, <laughs> and every year these decorations go up. And these are my memories of Christmas. But um, how essential is that to Christmas? Well, um, of course it wouldn't be Christmas without all this stuff, would it? Um, all these gifts, the carols, the presents. Um, what is our ideal Christmas memory? I wonder if, like me, your sort of ideal, your, your favorite Christmas memories go back to childhood. Is that often the case? Um, now, of course, if childhood and Christmas for you was bad news, then okay, that does happen. And that's, that's tragic. There is a lot of wrong in this world. But for some of us, we look back with nostalgia and memories and we enjoy going over what we used to enjoy as a child um, and as we get older perhaps that enjoyment sort of is lived out through the kids and seeing their joy and their pleasure at the presents and then as you get a bit older the grandkids and they're running around our grandkids were with us the other day and one of them as soon as she arrived was snooping around looking to see what she could find <laughs> she didn't find anything uh, and then I suppose if you get a little bit older, a lot older than that, I'm, this is just what they tell me, the great-grandkids. But I haven't got that far yet. I haven't got that far yet. I wonder why it is that Christmas is often settled in our childhoods, in our minds, our memories, and, and this sort of warm, fuzzy glow of everything nice. I wonder if it's because childhood is a time of innocence. We don't have the financial responsibilities. We don't have to pay the mortgage. We don't have to get a job. We don't have to keep the family together. We don't have to do all the things that adulthood comes, all its stresses and strains. As kids, we're free just to enjoy it because we don't have to worry about the stuff that's going on in the background that mum and dad have to worry about. Um, so maybe it's something to do with innocence and being protected from some of the harsh realities of life. But is this really what Christmas is all about? And this morning I just want us to spend a few minutes lifting the hood on Christmas. And uh, it looks as if that a few, few families are going to get their presents a bit late because there's something, something not quite right under the hood of Santa's um, sleigh there. Maybe the reindeer are playing up. But to change the metaphor, if we lift up the hood of Christmas, what do we find? Well, let's move on a little bit, because what we've looked at so far, is it really the essential? Well, we find a verse like that. Now, a few months ago, I did the joke about the ancient photograph being digitally enhanced. That's not an ancient photograph. That's from a film, and that's Mary. I don't know if you got the joke then. I was sort of saying, ha-ha, it was an early photograph thousands of years ago. No, never mind, never mind. Um, so I don't know what play that's from. But look at the words at the top. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, which and we, we will call him Emmanuel. We've already sung about that this morning. Fantastic stuff. And yet, and this is what I want us to focus on for a few minutes, this verse and verses like it give rise to loads of controversy over two areas that are highlighted in this verse. One, it says the virgin will conceive. And then it says that his son will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
And I want to look at those two bits of doctrine, first of all. The virgin birth, does it matter? Well, some people will say, oh, well, it was, just a, it was just a story. Mary and Joseph were married, and it was just embellished, and it became a fable. Others will say, well, it's not true. It's all fable. It's just a myth. Um, and we try, some people will try to explain away the virgin birth. Does that matter? Is it important? Is that a hill to die on? Well, to me, if you deny the virgin birth, you're doing a whole lot than that, more than that. Because if you're denying the virgin birth, you're saying, well, Jesus was just born as a normal human being. He did not have that divine nature. So if he's a normal human being, he's sinful. You're also rejecting what Scripture says, because the Scripture in that verse and many others very clearly says uh, and, and propounds the virgin birth doctrine. If Jesus is not, if Jesus is just a human being, then where's our salvation gone and where have faith and hope gone? You've just destroyed the whole lot. So to me, the virgin birth is a hill to die on. It's essential, Christmas essentials. This is one of the essentials of Christmas. I have a quote here, if I can find it, from a guy called David Mathis, who's a pastor. I found this on the internet. Yes, the virgin birth is well worth contending for. And everything worth contending for is worth rejoicing in. No human person existed prior to conception like the pre-existent Jesus. And no human being was virgin born except this man. This is a unique glory of the God-man. What a magnificent Lord, Saviour and treasure. Wow. So not only can we believe the virgin birth, we can rejoice in the virgin birth, which is what we've been doing this morning, that this is God at work, beyond normal human processes. And the Saviour was born. I put that there because I shall need that a little later on. If we ditch the virgin birth, we ditch everything. So if you have someone who doubts that, okay, by the way, can you be a Christian and still doubt? Well, yeah, because being a Christ, becoming a Christian in early days, you haven't got your theology sorted out. Did you become a Christian because you'd been to seminary and sorted out all your theology about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth, crucifixion, regeneration, and then you thought, okay, I'll become a Christian. It doesn't work like that. You become a Christian when the Spirit of God moves in your heart and draws you. You may not know a thing about the, uh, theology, but you know Jesus. But then it's good to learn what's under the hood. That's what I was saying. Um, what's under the hood? One of the things that is under hood, under the hood is the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. That he had that human nature through his mother Mary. And he had that divine nature through the Godhead. And we've sung some of those truths already this morning. So yeah... That is a quote, that is one to be died for. Otherwise, as it says elsewhere in another context, if all this is is just baloney, if it's just fable, of all men we are most, and women, we are the most to be pitied because we're just living on something which is a deception, a lie, a myth, a fable, and not actual truth. So Jesus was in a unique position and status to bridge the gap between God and man. Now, the other thing in that verse was 
Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. God with us. God with us. Prophesied in that verse that we read and many others. Let's look at one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. There we are. Now, I'm not going to spend too long on this because Pastor John uh, covered some of this last week, but I've underlined the word begotten and put in brackets one and only. Okay? And this again hinges on who Jesus is. And this is another essential. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten or his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. And is that word begotten? Now, we've just sung, begotten, not created. And there's a Greek word, I'm being clever this morning. Got to be clever because the boss is out there somewhere watching, I think. Oh, there he is. So I've got to try and, you know, create some illusion of of a bit of knowledge. Um, (laughs) Begotten. The word begotten is monogenes. Monogenes. That's the Greek word that means begotten. It doesn't... It doesn't relate so much to being born and created because Jesus was not created. It relates to a unique position. If you weren't here last week, Pastor John was explaining this far better than I can. Um, It relates to a relationship, a close, unique relationship. One of a part, one apart, uh, set apart, um, special relationship. And that was God's one and only Son doesn't mean he was created, begotten, not created, but he was in a unique, he is in a unique position. Okay, so let's move on to that. That was believed, that was got hold of many, many years ago because there you can see part of the Nicene Creed in AD 325, and if you can read that towards the bottom. We, the second paragraph, we believe in the one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. Ah, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light. Next line I can't see. Uh, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Is this a hill worth dying for? Absolutely, there is no greater hill that it's worth dying for than this. Does it matter? You bet it does. And the Christians way back in 300 have got it. In fact, the Christians way back in the New Testament times have got it. They believed who Jesus was and it was set down in this creed when they were trying to, as it were, formalize what is the body of Christian doctrine? What are these Christmas and other essentials? This is one. And it was set down in that creed and others like it. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and it was explicit in the New Testament as well, and it was implied, it was explicit in the Old Testament who Jesus was as well. So it wasn't that Christians suddenly stumbled across this belief that Jesus is God. They had it all the time, but they wanted to formalize it and say, This is what we believe. And sometimes we say the creed, we speak a creed. And it may be a slightly different version, but it says much the same thing. And when I, when you when we speak the creed, wow, it's spiritual dynamite. The stuff that we're saying, next time we say it, 
Just look at those words. Look at those words up there and what that means for you and for me. It gives us hope. It gives us life. It gives us eternity. It gives us a future. And without that, we're lost. It's fantastic. It's dynamite. And sometimes when I'm saying the creed at the end, I want to go, yeah! But this is church. Got my Christmas tie on, but did you notice? That's a Christmas essential. Okay. We're having some fun here. We are allowed to have fun, I hope. And there we are, just to emphasize, we've sung that this morning. This is what's under the hood of Christmas. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead. Veiled in flesh. Clothed a baby. What? See? The Godhead. There is the Godhead. Wow, that little baby. God. Ooh. Hail the incarnate. Deity. God made flesh. Wow. Not created, because if, God, if Jesus was created, he, he cannot be God. He is co-equal, part of the Trinity. And this is the most significant essential of Christmas. He fleshed it out, uh, the, the Godhead. Now, he wasn't just a teacher, <clears throat> an example, a good man. Lots of people will say, oh, well, Jesus was a good teacher, you know, do as you will be done by, all good stuff to help us get along with one another. The Bible doesn't give us that option of saying that Jesus is just a teacher. If you read the Bible, you cannot be left with that conclusion that that's it. There's more to it than that. Now, so we see deity walking the earth. So coming back to Christmas, Christmas essentials. We looked at some essentials and we looked at some not so essentials. And I want to liken that to, if you'll excuse me for saying this, to beer. (gasps) Beer? We're Christians, we don't talk about alcohol. Okay. I thought I'd tone it down to coffee, but then when I was thinking about it, coffee doesn't actually work in quite the same way. So I'm not advocating that you drink. If you want to drink it, that's up to you. If you, think that, if you get offended at me mentioning it, I'm sorry, that's up to you to take that offence. The Bible doesn't say you shouldn't drink alcohol. It certainly says don't get drunk. This is a sidebar. So if you think... <laughs> it's my ADD kicking in. <laughs> this is free, no charge. Um... If you think, well, it's okay to have a fling because it's a party or it's Christmas, the office party, I, I won't be driving her. Oh, it's all right just to let go. Oh, no, it isn't. What's that got to do with the fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. So that's the first thing. You know, if you have beer, that's up to you, but don't overdo it. But coming back to the whole point of this, beer. <laughs> if you have beer, you've got the glass there, you've got the beer, and then you've got the, the head, the froth, Okay. I want you to remember that. You've got the the actual substance of the beer and then you've got the froth. You can probably see where I'm going on this. All the presents and all the tinsels and all that, they are froth. Now, where does that froth come from? It comes from the beer, which is the substance. And if there wasn't any beer, there wouldn't be any froth. So it's good to do presents and jingle bells and Christmas trees and and sing carols. It's a bit of froth, but it's because there's some substance underneath it. Oh, thank you. Is that what you need? Yes. Thank you. 
Is it vodka? <clears throat> Thank you. So, <laughs> vintage. Um, so both are valid. It's good to have fun. It's good to sing carols. It's good to have a Christmas tree. It's good to give presents. But they are only valid because of the substance which is underneath. And it's a substance which gives rise to the beer. That's why I couldn't really do frothy coffee, because you have to make coffee frothy. Beer is frothy naturally. And Christianity is naturally frothy because it's good, it's positive, it's life-giving. And so it's good to celebrate. It's okay to enjoy it. It's okay to be joyful. It's okay to, 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 to just think it's fantastic because it is fantastic. You run out of words. Um, so you need, though, to look beyond the froth to the substance. And the substance is what's under the hood. The substance is veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see. The substance is hail the incarnate deity. The substance is Jesus born of a virgin, man and God, dual nature, sinless. If you can understand that totally, then please come and let me know and explain it to me because I can't understand it. You know, we cannot fully understand the nature. How can Jesus be born as a baby and yet fathered by God and, and, and incarnate deity, that dual nature. How does that work? We can understand a little bit, but we can't understand it fully. But we can believe it. We can believe it. Now, I've got another quote from one of the most famous theologians of the 20th century. And he said this. In John... No, no, it wasn't Pastor John. In John 1, 10 and 14... Jesus identifies himself pretty definitely and more than once. Is there really any ambiguity in Jesus' words? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And in John 10, he says, I am in the Father and the Father in me. And he makes reference to being with God before the world was and sitting on the right hand of God. This is all about Jesus. These and other statements Jesus made about himself, they foreclose, in my opinion, any question as to his divinity. It doesn't seem to me that he gave us any choice. Either he was what he said he was, or he was the world's greatest liar. And as I say, that was from the 20th century greatest American theologian by the name of Ronald Reagan. It's true. That was Ronald Reagan underlining what we believed. That's quite something. So let's move on and look at two people in the New Testament, two situations where who Jesus was became important. Okay? So we're slightly off Christmas, but we're still in the substance of what's under the hood. Here's the paralyzed man being brought to Jesus. Remember, they take the roof off, lower him down, crowd, lots of people all around, and Jesus looked at the paralyzed man and says that, your sons are forgiven. Easy just to say, you know, oh, your, son, your sins are forgiven. You can say that. Is it true? Well, who knows? But then, the teachers of the law, whoa, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God only? Uh, hello? Yes. <laughs> yes. You got it in one. 
Who indeed can forgive sins but God only? Here were the religious leaders. They knew their theology. They, they were sound, as we would say. They got it right. Who can forgive sins but God only? And if the guy, if Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, empty words, okay. If you're not sure about those words, get up and walk. And he did. Wow. If he can do that, what about the power in the sins are forgiven words? Who can forgive sins but God only? You've got it in one, you're talking to him, he's there in front of you, but you rejected him. It's in scripture. So it's as if Jesus is saying, if I can command healing, then I can forgive sins because of who I am. It's as if he is saying that. You know, there's all sorts of people... Religious teachers today, critics, religious experts, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and I'm not deliberately going out to knock or attack people, but people who will not accept who Jesus is. They will say, they will say that Jesus, they may call him the Son of God, they may say he's special, but they will not accept that Jesus is God the Son. And yet here is a quote Here is this situation where Jesus spoke forgiveness and it was was quite clear that even for his critics, they knew who could forgive sins and it's only God. And it was Jesus forgiving those sins. And I remember, I'm not sure whether I've told you this, a little sort of insignificant story. Some weeks ago, occasionally we go out, we went to Milford in Pennsylvania, which is a nice little town. And um, one of the things about Milford is it's got some little, on some corners, some little grassy squares with a few trees and a bit of grass, and, and uh, you just watch the world go by, a few benches. And Carolyn was doing her thing in the sort of fashion shops and things like that. Um, and I was sitting there watching the world go by uh, for a few minutes, waiting for Carolyn, and I could see just about 20 feet from me were the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, they stand on a corner these days with a little book display, And they were standing there looking a little bit self-conscious and not really engaging in much conversation. And I was looking, I thought, am I going to sit here and then get up and go and say nothing to them? They believe a lie. They need to be saved. Maybe they are saved and they've been knocked off course a bit, some of them, if they know Jesus. I don't know, I don't know their background. Apparently a lot of JWs do come from people who are disillusioned with mainstream churches. I can understand that, because they get people who would take an interest in them. However, whatever it was, I thought, am I just going to sit here, looking at them, knowing the word of God, and just walk off? Sometimes when they come to the door, I say, sorry, too busy, I can't talk to you now. But I thought, And I really wasn't sure what to do. And I wasn't sure what I would say to them if I did. And, and Carolyn came and I said, look, look at those guys. Am I gonna, can we, am I just going to walk off away from them? And I didn't know what I was going to do. And she walked off towards the car and I decided no. And I went up to them and I just said to them, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, don't you? But he's actually God the Son. And for 2,000 years... Millions and millions of mainstream Christians have believed that. Why is it your small group thinks you know better? Mm. Those are not the words I use, but this is what I was trying to point out. You've got the whole weight of Christendom against you. 
consider that. Because to me, I said, if Jesus is not God, my salvation has gone out the window. And so is yours. And then I had to go. I, I walked off. I didn't want to get engaged because, you know, you could be stuck there for hours. Um, I just left that with them. Whether it registered, I have no idea. But the point is, the question is, who is Jesus? And the answer is, look under the hood of Christmas, and we see that he is God the Son. And that's why he could forgive sins. The other example, very briefly, is Thomas. After the resurrection. First time, Thomas is a doubt. I like Thomas. He won't believe it unless he's got proof. Good for you, Thomas. None of this airy-fairy stuff. He wasn't around when Jesus appeared, first of all, after the resurrection. When the disciples told him, he said, oh yeah, really? Unless I see these nail prints, I'm not going to believe. And then, next time, he was there, and Jesus said, come here, Thomas, have a look. And Thomas's scepticism morphed into faith and trust and worship. And he said, my Lord and my God. Oh, there's some fancy Greek stuff down there. That's the English pronunciation of the Greek. Trying to get clever again. Um, Thomas, Thomas replied to him uh, and to him said, nothing to do with plastic bricks, <laughs> the of me Lord, my Lord, and the of me God, Theos. That is what Thomas said to Jesus. And if you think the translation you got is wrong, that's the original Greek. Theos, theology, God. Thomas bowed down and worshipped and said, my Lord and my God. Not not just my teacher, not just my Savior, my God. Now, Anywhere in the Bible, when someone falls down and seeks to worship an angel or someone is not God, the angel will say, no, don't do that. Worship God. Jesus, we don't see any sign of Jesus saying, no, don't. I'm not your Lord and my, your Lord and my, or your God. What we see is Jesus implicitly accepting that worship because he is our Lord and our God. He was Thomas's Lord and his God. And he accepted that statement of faith and trust from him. So, is he your Lord? Is he your God? These are the Christmas essentials. There's two questions for us to think about this morning. Who is Jesus? And we tried to look at that very briefly. And why did he come? Why did he come? We know the answer to that, but this is what I want us to move on towards now as we come towards communion. What are the implications of God becoming man to each one of us now? It's not just a question of getting our theology correct. We saw that because the religious leaders had their theology correct. They knew who to forgive sins, but they rejected Jesus. So just having the right theology is not good enough. It's not enough. In fact, it can be a hindrance if we've got too much of the stuff. Um, What are the implications? If God did really walk the earth, which he did, why did he do that? It wasn't exactly to join the celebration of human virtue and achievement. At least if it was, that's not what we find in the Bible. That's not why Jesus walked the earth. There's a whole lot more to it than that. And let's move back to Isaiah. 
That's why Jesus walked the earth. Because you and I are broken. And Isaiah 53, from which that is taken, is one of the most explicit prophecies about Jesus, the suffering servant. Now, if you talk to religious Jews, I say, oh, no, no, Isaiah 53, that's all about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is the suffering servant, not Jesus. Oh, well, okay. If they want to believe that, they're entitled to that faith, to that belief. For us as Christians, that is regarded as the most explicit prophecy of who Jesus is and what he is going to do, the coming Messiah. And yes, there it is encapsulated. We've gone astray, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And at what cost? Well, we know that. And that's what we're going to celebrate and give thanks for with communion in a few minutes. But let's just have a moment when we can ponder, who is Jesus to us? Now, probably we're nearly all, as many of us are here regularly, every Sunday we know Jesus, we believe in him, some of us have believed in him for many, many, many years. Is our faith relevant? Is our faith vibrant? Is our faith living? Is our faith up to date? Or is our faith like memories of Christmas? Oh, way back when I went to Sunday school and had a nice time and sang the songs. Like Christmas, and we think, to, we think of how we were as kids and the things that we enjoyed as kids a long time ago. Makes us feel good. Is that where our faith is? Is it stuck in the past? Is it a feel-good faith? Is it something that's just a memory that's now faded? Is it something that just keeps us going, gives us a warm, gooey feeling, but it's not actually up-to-date or relevant or living within us now? When we share communion, this is a good opportunity to renew our faith, to renew our commitment, to say, yes, Lord, I do believe that you were born of a virgin. I do believe that you are God with us. I do believe that uh, you took our sin and my sin. And I want to renew that commitment to you this morning. This is something that we can do as we share the bread and the wine together. So, in a moment, I'll be asking the servers to come up, but just before I do that, I just want to read a few verses, a few more verses from (coughs) Isaiah chapter 53. Very familiar verses. Surely he took up our pain, and this is the NIV, which is the nearly infallible version. (laughs) Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And so it goes on. This is the suffering servant. This is the baby of Bethlehem. This is God made flesh. Coming not just to enjoy the celebration of life with us, but coming to give us life because we are in a place of death and sin. 
We're going to share in communion, and the the bread and then the wine will be brought to us. Um, While the bread is brought to us, just like us to listen to the music as it plays, as Kim plays, and just ponder on what we heard this morning. Then when the wine is brought to us, um, there'll be an opportunity, if you want to, to very briefly share the way custom that we do now again. This is not the time to say Happy Christmas to everybody. This is not the time to tell everybody you're going to have a fantastic Christmas with the family. This is a time when perhaps two or three people might like just to say, well, actually, God's lifted the hood on my life and he's done some tinkering around and he's changed me or this has happened or God's done something or I've come to realize something new or whatever. Open the hood, tinkering around, getting things going better. That's what it's for, to give testimony to the work of God in your life. So if there's something specific you want to share with us, that will be great. But that will be while the wine is brought to us. Have a think as we share the bread. So if the servers could come up, please. We know that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. And as the bread comes to us, um, I'd just like us to eat the bread as soon as it comes to us, as soon as you receive it. Lord, we just thank you for your body given for us. Thank you that you bore our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were prepared to set on on one side your glory. You were willing to submit yourself to Father's will, to come to earth, to be born as a baby to suffer, to die, to know that the iniquity of us all was something you were going to take. We cannot begin to imagine what that must have been, Lord Jesus, but all we can say is thank you. Thank you for the joy, the froth of Christmas, that we can celebrate life, that we can celebrate joy, that we can celebrate with fun. But thank you for that it all points to, not just to empty froth, but it points to the substance of who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, we give you praise, and we do this in remembrance of you. Amen. So, eat the bread as soon as you receive it.
Still in Isaiah 53, verse 11, says, After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Wow, fantastic. Now, in a moment, the wine is going to be brought to us. Um, Keep the cup in your hand, and we're all going to drink together after we've given thanks when everybody's received. But as the stewards come with the wine, this is the chance if you'd just like to share something briefly, clearly, not good news slots, but what God's doing. And we have a roving mic, so you'll be able to be heard by everybody. So we will ask the servers to distribute the wine, and while they're doing that, if anybody wants to share... This is the opportunity to do so. Um, I just wanted to say that This Christmas has kind of been difficult with a lot of things that have gone on this year and a lot of stresses. And um, maybe you're out there and you're struggling this Christmas. Maybe it's there's a lot of things going on in your life and and it's hard. But this was really encouraging, so encouraging this morning just to hear the word and hear about how Christ came to be reminded that He came to be with us and that God understands what we're going through and. Jesus came for our brokenness and our pain and our suffering, and that's why he came, so that we could be forgiven. And um, when Derek was saying about um, Jesus saying to that man, your sins are forgiven, you know, we know that God says if we confess our sins, we're forgiven, but it just kind of like really made me think about Jesus speaking over my life, and I could just picture him saying to me, Donna, your sins are forgiven. Don't walk around with all this false guilt and, and, and struggles with all the things that you feel and everything going on in your life. I'm, I'm here because I love you and your sins are forgiven. So just to encourage you, maybe this isn't the easiest, happiest, greatest Christmas for you, 
but Jesus came for us in our brokenness. Amen. Thank you, Donna. Anybody else? Don. Amen, Donna. I've been uh, reading in the Daily Bible, as we all have, and uh, I was just so convicted this week. Uh, we've all been in the Old Testament, and we're always talk about how can the Jews be so foolish to, you know, kick God after he's been so gracious to them. But, uh, and they keep doing that over and over again, and God continues to be gracious. But I read, um, I think, in Hosea, and it really hit me that while the Jews were uh, worshiping Baal and the Asherah poles, it said they were still going and making sacrifices and going to the temple. And, like, it just convicted me that, like, how is my life? Am I giving my all to God? Am I worshiping him and him alone? Are there other things in my life that are taking away from God's glory? And, are you know, are there things in my life that are Asherah poles or Baals? And, you know, we look at them and say, well, how could they be so dumb? But they probably thought that they were okay. They were still going to church. They were making the sacrifices, but they had all this other stuff. And it really makes me think, what's this other stuff? And uh, Derek mentioned this morning, he says, we live in a broken world. And I've had that conversation with so many customers, and I don't take it anywhere. But we have a God who has overcome this world, and he is a God who heals us. So a lot to be thankful for. Amen. Thank you, Don. Anybody else? Thinking about thinking about Jesus um, existing before he was born, and this is from Hebrews ten. Therefore, when he comes into the world, this is Jesus. He says. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I have come to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. I mean, if ever there is a scripture that talks about the virgin birth and Jesus existing prior to being begotten, to me it's that one. Anybody else? We've got a couple of minutes if we need them. Last chance. Okay. I just want to read that verse again. After he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And we are some of those many because he shed his blood for us and that's fantastic there is an after he suffered his suffering is not the end there is an after after suffering there is resurrection and because of Jesus' resurrection there is our resurrection that we are yet to enter into we are already raised up and seated with him in heavenly places one day the fullness of that will be our experience not just yet we're okay for a bit but 
you know, when we leave this place, there is resurrection and we will enter the fullness of that. That is our joy, that is our hope, that is the essential of Christmas. It goes right through to prophecy. It goes right through to be Jesus, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Eternity past. It goes right through to eternity future as we look at it when we will be with him. Let's stand together. And let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you shed your blood. Thank you that we are forgiven because you said yes to Father's will. And you came to do his will. It cost you so much. But we thank you that there is the after you have suffered, that you will justify many. Lord, you've justified us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. You have looked over us and you have declared us not guilty. But we know, Lord, that that was the cost of you being declared guilty, of you suffering death, suffering loss. Thank you. We give you praise that you have forgiven us. And now let's drink together to the king and to the kingdom. There is a Amen. Please be seated. Lord, go with us now as we leave. We pray, Father, that this week we might just enjoy afresh and enter into all that Christmas means. Help us to enjoy the froth, but help us, Lord, to be mindful of the substance. And help us, Lord just to glorify you in all that we do and say. We pray, Lord, for those for whom Christmas is not going to be easy this year. We've already heard from Donna. And, Lord, there are others that, for one reason or another, Lord, things are not easy. Some are grieving, some are mourning, some are going through trauma, accident, injury, illness, breakup of relationship. We lift to you, Lord, those for whom Christmas will be a struggle. Will you just present yourself with them in a very special way? And may they know a measure of your peace, and may they know that there will be an after the suffering, that there will be life in the future for them. So bless us each one, go with us today, may we enjoy the rest of this day and this week, in Jesus' name, Amen. Don't forget, next Sunday, usual time, and then six o'clock, carol service, lots of froth, come along, bring everybody else, you are dismissed.